0: I want you to look at your Bibles, if you would, at Galatians chapter number 3. I want to talk to you about how to continue to abound in the Spirit. And uh, I think that really is the key of this message, of my desire to be able to help you understand on how to do that. I think it's hard uh, to accept what's going on in the culture today in which we're living in. We, we get upset with things that are going on in small towns and and uh, things that happen that we, we seem, that it seems like the leadership is caving to a few perverted people that scream if they don't get their way, instead of standing up and, and saying what is right and what is needed. You know, I, I think that our church, Grace Baptist Church, always needs to be biblical and not compromise uh, in spite of the culture, we're not looking to try to just great, get a crowd, we're We're trying to help lives and love people enough to be able to help them to make those decisions to become the person that God wants them to be. But it's difficult when you see even some of the people that stood by the truth of God's word now changing. And I see what's happening in the the churches today where uh, they're hanging out these flags that uh, are using... Uh, the, the, the rainbow to, to exhibit their inclusiveness and uh, trying to say that if you don't have one on your church, that you are, you know, condemning some and so on. And they're, they're twisting things and they are perverted in their viewpoint. And for us to be able to live in a culture like this and still continue to stay strong. I really believe the one element in the antidote that, that we need for this society and this culture is the Holy Spirit. And uh, I think when, when you see people who slip away, um, it hurts you. I think this was a little bit of a rebuke, if you would, to, to the church at Galatia or the Galatian people. This is a region. It's not just a city. Uh, it is a whole area. And, and, and Paul is writing them. And, and letting them know that they're foolish. Look at the first verse, if you would. He says, Oh, foolish Galatians who hath bewitched you. That's strong verbiage, isn't it? Um, the word foolish here, I think it come out and understand where it actually uh, could be uh, described as spiritually dull. Oh, you spiritually dull ones in Galatia who have who hath bewitched you. How can you be so spiritually depleted, that you could be bewitched by a uh, society who has done this to you. I think uh, I like what Warren Wearsby said that if we're not careful, we start drifting, we start to doubt as Christians. And so um, if you haven't had your devotions for a little while, you start to doubt on things. And so when you're when you're hot and you're walking with God and you're and you're seeking his word, there is a incredible movement that happens within you to be able to, to stay firm and to be solid hanging on to that rock and anchor to it so that you can stay strong and be what God wants you to be. Uh, There are times when you begin to doubt, um, and that doubting comes because of drifting. And so someone would actually drift from their devotions, then you begin to doubt God, and then you have a deformed view of who God is. We explained this before. Warren Wiersbe does a great job of doing that on how that people have a deformed view of God because they drifted in their walk with Him. They began to doubt Him and then they begin to have an improper view of God and how you view God uh, helps you understand how you view yourself and, and where you're going and what direction. But then after that deformed view of God, after that eats at you for a while, you begin to despise those that love the Word of God. And so you really can become a traitor, if you would, so to speak. We're talking about the spiritual battle. Um, There are those that actually, uh, in the past, in our own country, have been known as traitors uh, to to America. I believe we have some now that are in the White House. There's no doubt in my mind. And uh, what's going on is a a movement to change this beautiful country into a humanistic uh, country, um, like other countries, and I think we're facing some, some big decisions in the future. But I want to just go back in your mind's eye and think about, uh, illustration used, uh, from years ago in America. Uh, there are those that are fighting against America, but there was a man years ago faced with financial ruin and uncertain of the future promotion. Um, And he got disgusted with congressional politics. Benedict Arnold, he was born in 1741, lived to 1801, made a fateful decision. He would seek fortune and fame in the service of Great Britain. With cool calculation, he initiated correspondence with Sir Henry uh, Clinton and the British commander promising to deliver West Point and its 3,000 defenders for 20000 Um, Sterling's, that's the $1 million of today, but that was his desire and his act that he hoped he could actually uh, collapse, if you would, the American cause in persuading Washington to place the fort under his command. Arnold moved in September 1980 to execute his plan only to see it fail when Andre was captured, and as Andre uh, was, was executed as a spy, Arnold received 6000 from the British government and appointed as a, a brigadier general. But in the end, uh, this, this moral failure and this individual we know of um, was a disgrace to America. Uh, his infamy uh, stemmed from his transfer of allegiance to the British side, and for other patriots chose to become loyalists and sometimes out of principle, but just as often for personal gain, Arnold's betrayal lay in the abuse of his position and authority and trust. And he would betray West Point and its garrisons, and if necessary, the entire American war effort to secure his own success. His treason was not uh, that of a principled man, but that of a selfish man. And he never lived that down. Hated in America as a consort of Beelzebub, like the devil, Arnold was treated with coldness and even contempt in Britain. And he died and he lived as a man without a country. And I was thinking about what took him to that place where he would actually turn and not be able to continue on with the American cause. And I think about those that have left Uh, walking in the Spirit and doing the work of God, in the Spirit of God, and then now are doing it in the flesh. I was also moved years ago when I read a story of something that happened March 27, 2003. And uh, a person by the name of Dean Stillman wrote the letter in the article. And this is what he wrote. The most disturbing story of the war so far is the fragging uh, at Camp Pennsylvania in Kuwait. According to the news reports on March 23, 2003, Sergeant Asan Akbar rolled a grenade into each of three tents of sleeping officers and seniors and NCO. Um, of the the 101st Airborne Division, and then he allegedly shot the soldiers with an automatic weapon as they fled from their tents. Two of them, a major and a captain, died. Fourteen others were injured, and the episode is unsettling for a number of reasons, most of all because it exposes the fact about our military that commanders have tried their best to ignore. The presence of radical anti-American Muslims in the ranks. Akbar, a a convert of Islam, reportedly said that he was uh, when he was captured. You guys are coming into our countries, and you're going to take our women, and you're going to kill our children. It's increasingly clear that there is a small group of soldiers for whom anti-American which would be the ruling on a point of Islamic law given by a recognized authority, issued in mosques around the world to supersede the oath and the loyalty that they took for their nation when they became a soldier. And so within our ranks, there are those that actually would be uh, saying that they are American. They raised their right hand. They were the soldiers. We were in the military. We probably served next to them, but they were Muslims. And now they're coming out and saying that they are anti-American or their movement actually supersedes uh, their oath to America. Interesting that this particular happens in a physical sense, but I think that this is what was happening to the churches in Galatia. And I think the Apostle Paul spiritually was saying, "I, I understand, You kind of started out, if you would, in the law. Uh, or in the spirit, and now you have shifted over because you think you can be uh, sanctified by your externals and you can actually do these things to show that you are good without and the inside. And I think about these verses. Look at verse number one again. It says, Oh, foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that you, uh, that you should not obey the truth before whom, whom's eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you, so you know that he was crucified. And uh, you have evidence, you have eyewitnesses that are here to be able to explain that. Look at verse 3. Are you so foolish? Are you so spiritually dull? Having begun in the Spirit, you now are made perfect or you matured by the flesh? Interesting, when we think about this, it bothered the Apostle Paul uh, that the church in Galatia was moving away from the Spirit uh, to the law. They were changing positions on on, on what side they were concerning salvation, um, verse number 3 proves that. I think about Romans chapter 8, verses number 3 and verse number 4, it says, For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin can condemn sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit, And so the Holy Spirit, really, I believe, is the antidote for the culture of seducing spirits that we are experiencing today. We cannot fight the spiritual war in the flesh. We know that Paul was teaching Timothy, and he said in verse number one of chapter four of Timothy, first Timothy says, now the spirit speaketh expressly, that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to the seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. The Bible also says written by the apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 3 and 4 it says for though we walk in the flesh we do not use or we do not war after the flesh for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but are mighty through God to the pulling down of the strongholds so and what he's saying here is that if we're going to be able to be the kind of Christians that God needs in our world today then we're going to have to rely upon the holy spirit of God we can't fight this war with fleshly weapons, we've got to go back and win it with, with godly weapons. And I think the biggest one is, is praying first and seeking God and asking and being submissive to him so that he can change you on the inside. It's got to be that external evidence knowing that something's been done on the inside. And So we must continue and remain and abide in the spirit. And that's what he's saying here. Always abounding in the Spirit, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And so, if we understand then that the Holy Spirit is the theme here, and we know that the Spirit, of course, is what we receive to begin with. That if we get from point A to point B, we've got to understand how the Holy Spirit works. The Holy Spirit is involved with your salvation. You were wooed by the Spirit of God to come to Him. The Spirit of God convicted you of sin. The Spirit of God revealed to you that there is a God that loves you and you drew yourself to Him. You knew you could not go to anybody here that could help you because we have a bunch of liars, perhaps, that we understand that God is true and every man's a liar. And so you knew that it had to be uh, some help outside of you because you can't regenerate yourself. The Spirit of God need to move. John chapter 3 gives us that understanding that we are, sal- salvation is actually done through the power of the Spirit of God to change you on the inside. And you become born again, and no one knows where the wind goes, and no one knows how the spirit moves. The Bible teaches us that, and Jesus was teaching Nicodemus that that there needed to be a spiritual change. and And uh, Jesus was saying, "Aren't you a, a, a teacher of the Jews and don't know these things?" You know, and, and 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 Nicodemus is saying, "How can you know you not be of God? No man can do these miracles." And there was a great movement there in Nicodemus, and a leader, if you would, of the Jewish people. I like how he's portrayed somewhat on the films of our day. A little bit of a stout individual who had quite great influence, but he knew who the Savior was. And down deep inside, I believe that Nicodemus knew that this was the Christ and needed that spiritual renewal and that because oh, keeping of the law, he was one of the most studious. So was Paul. But Paul would consider it all as just nothing but trash for the wonderful understanding of what Jesus Christ has done on Calvary. Being born again. But then there's the sealing. So there's salvation, then there's the sealing, and the Spirit of God is actually involved with the sealing of our own souls. And the Bible tells us this. It says in the book of of Corinthians, that, that uh, we are sealed by the Spirit of God. Then there's the sanctification process. And then there's the sending force we, we see in, in Acts chapter 13 where the Spirit of God sends forth, the Spirit sanctifies us, and He sends us forth, and then the Spirit of God strengthens us. And we know all of this. That's the Spirit of God, and oh, how we need Him today. We need him to help us to understand our salvation and keep on the helmet of salvation and to be strong in the Lord and to know that my, it's not my performance, it's by the power of the God of heaven that saved our souls through sending his son, Jesus Christ. I've been reading an older book. It's Great Christians of my time. And it was written in the 1800s I think it was actually published in 1911, I picked it up this morning again, and I've been reading it at night, and before I go to bed I wanted to start reading about these great men. One man, his name was A.J. Gordon, Adreniram Judson Gordon. He was born in 1836 and he died in 1895, he was an American Baptist preacher, he was a composer. And he was the founder of Gordon College and Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. And Gordon was born in New Hampshire on April 19, 1836. And his father, a Baptist deacon, uh, John Calvin Gordon, uh, and he was a Calvinist um, named after John Calvin. That was his father. His mother Sally Robinson Gordon, A.J. Gordon, was named after Adoniram Judson, the Baptist missionary to Burma, who had recently completed a Burmese translation of the Bible. But Gordon experienced a Christian conversion, being born again at the age of fifteen, and after that, he just everything was about his future as a as a pastor. He desired to do that. He graduated from Brown University, then was a Baptist-affiliated school in 1860. Can you imagine that? At Newton Theological Institution. He graduated from there in 1863, and he went on to marry. It goes on to talk about him. Uh, And then in 1869, he became the pastor of Clarendon Street Baptist Church in Boston, and, uh, just an influential person to talk to, and somewhat like Charles Spurgeon, because it, when you, when you, you, you were never the same when you met Charles Spurgeon, because you knew he was full of the Word of God, and he was full of the Spirit of God, and you, and you knew that this man, this, this Gordon was, uh, was filled with God's power. Pastor Gordon became a favorite speaker of evangelist Dwight Moody and Northfield uh, conventions. And every summer, Gordon returned to his hometown in New Hampshire and often preached at the the meeting house there. And AJ. Gordon's greatest work was a book titled, The Ministry of the Holy Spirit. And he began to express in this that there is a what we would call the sealing or this accomplishment of the Spirit of God. And, and he seals us uh, by the Holy Spirit. And so the Bible tells us that we then are sealed. The Bible says that in 2 Corinthians 1, verse number 21. Now he which established us uh, with you in Christ hath anointed us is God. Uh, Verse number 22 says, who hath also sealed us and given the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. And so we see that what the what the reason for putting that into the scriptures for us to see that once we've come to Christ and we've believed the gospel of Jesus Christ and we've trusted him and we've received him, that we are sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. He goes on to say that. In, in, uh, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse number 13, in whom also you trusted after you heard the word of truth. What is the word of truth? The gospel of your salvation, in whom also after you believed you were sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise, giving us that understanding that we are sealed by the Spirit of God. I really believe that these three understandings that Pastor Gordon had back then, quickened his spirit that he could actually give the people an understanding that your assurance of your salvation is based upon the word of God, not based on your feeling, not based on your experience, but based upon the written word of God to say, I was sealed at my conversion and I am forever his. What happens today is we become doubtful. Some of us don't really know if we've been good enough or not. Let me tell you something, you have never been good enough and you will never be able to attain it by the law, because no man is justified by the law. This is the expression and the desire. But I think something else is mentioned here, that we are sealed by the Spirit of God, but he also talked about the filling of, of the Holy Spirit. Not just the sealing of the Holy Spirit, but also the filling of the Holy Spirit. What does this mean? For anybody who has experienced being in a Pentecostal service or being in an Assembly of God ministry or watching perhaps different videos and YouTube videos of services where they have people that are filled with the Spirit begin to laugh uncontrollably or they fall on the floor like a flop around like a fish, uh, can I tell you that that's not true? Because with being filled with the Spirit, Becomes a lot of temperance to the individual, self-control. Well, there's a lot of love and kindness and so on that comes out of being filled with the spirit. What does this mean? I really believe that being filled with the spirit is where we get our power from. And I really believe that if we grieve the spirit, and if you're not saved today and you never received him, then you're rejecting the spirit, and that, that'll give you uh, an understanding, a false understanding of God. The Spirit of God has been been, been prompting you and leading you. He doesn't drive you. He leads quietly, softly, and tenderly. He's calling. That's the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God then being filled with the Spirit, I really believe we're filled with the Word of God. The Bible says in 1 John, giving us an understanding, or in Colossians chapter 3, verse number 16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another, in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And what it's talking about is being filled with the word of God, I really believe that being filled with the Word of God, being filled with the Spirit of God, are so connected. And so if you see somebody who's struggling in their spirit's understanding, it's because they're not reading the Word of God. They're not allowing the word of God to be in them and to be meditating upon it. And all they are is in some kind of an external structure. And they're just going through the motions and and you're down deep in your heart. You're still empty and you're seeking for something to fill you. And it is the spirit of the almighty God that wants to be able to come into you and you can be a partaker of that power. Oh, the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead can live in you. And give you the help to be the kind of person God wants you to become. The older I get, the more I see the needing, the need of being filled with the Spirit of God. I'll never forget this last time I saw Pastor Dow, the previous pastor of this church. He was walking around at the hospital. I was up there for a hospital call. and I said, hey, Pastor Dow, good to see you. How you doing? And he said, well, he said, if you think that the flesh is getting any easier, it's not. And so I don't know what happened. Maybe he had trouble in the parking area. Maybe he had trouble understanding his doctor. I don't know. But you could just see he was all fleshed up a little bit, you know. And uh, flush in the face. Fleshed in the heart, perhaps. I don't know. But he was upset. And he said, I'm still struggling with showing that wonderful grace of God. So don't think it comes with age, dear friend. It comes by being in the word of God. Being submissive to God. And I said this in Sunday school, and I'll say it again. Evidence of being submissive to God is shown in your seeking God. In other words, if I seek the God of heaven, it shows that I'm submissive to him. And what comes out of that is my service toward him. And so you see somebody who is serving God, they're seeking him, and they're submissive submissive to him. But let me just tell you this. It can happen where you can begin in the spirit and cross over to the flesh and begin to serve God in the flesh if you're not careful. You begin to just go through the motions, perhaps, without the power of the Almighty God. Oh, if there's one thing over all of these years of preaching that I pray before I get up here is, Oh, God, help me. I can't do this without you. I need you, oh God. Come, fill me. I may confess my sin till I'm blue in the face, but with an empty vessel, I can do nothing. Repentance is wonderful, but I must be filled with the spirit of the almighty God. I must understand that I will be able to, be, to abide in him and continue in him and to stay the course and to keep on keeping on with the spirit of God and the power of God instead of my own. If I'm not careful, I'll cross over into the flesh and do things that are good, and, but they're not with the power of God. So that's that filling, and that filling produces the power. And so uh, out of this understanding of his sealing comes assurance, and it's not just, uh, it's just not uh, a light assurance. It's, I know that he is with me. I know that he saved me. I know what he called me to do, and I'm going to do it. I have that assurance. And then I have the filling, which produces me with his power. And then he talked about the anointing, and those three things, The sealing and the filling and the anointing. And the anointing is interesting. It's an interesting word. We think, well, what are you talking about? We take up oil and we anoint our heads with oil, or you know, and and what is it speaking of? The Bible talks about this in 1 John chapter 2, verse number 20. It says, But you have an unction. That word unction means anointing. From the Holy One, and you know all things. In other words, dear Christian, you have been anointed by God if you've received the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. The Bible says it really clearly, a little further down in 1 John chapter 2, verse number 27, But the anointing which you have received of Him abides in you, and you need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you of all things, is, and, and is true and is no lie, and, and even as it hath taught you. You shall abide in Him through the anointing of the Spirit of God. And we're talking about that understanding and that knowledge. Turn you at my reproof and I will make my word known unto you. I'll I'll open your eyes and I will reveal to you what is good and healthy for you. God will do that for you. His Spirit will. If you just receive Him. Stop resisting. Let Him come. He'll change things. I think about how that there's been Christians that have thought that everything was, was done. There's no more hope. William Cowper is one of those men. He thought that there'd be no, one call him Cooper or whatever. He thought everything was over, but it wasn't. You see, because God is the one that is in complete control. And when you feel like you're dirty and, and, and full of despair and not clean enough and not good enough, you're you're in a good place because you're not. The only one that is good is the God of heaven. And he sent his son, impeccable, immutable, always the same. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that Jesus will come and abide in you. And he will never leave. And he'll never forsake you. No matter how bad the culture gets, he will be your friend and he will hold your hand. That's the Spirit of God. You know what, folks? It's 1139, and I haven't even started the sermon. It's the introduction. So what do I do? just want to tell you that if you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, I'd give you the outline. But They need choir practice, so. But I think it's important for us to know that this was an honest rebuke to the churches at Galatia. But you started out in the spirit, and now you go over and over into the flesh. And there was a man that came into this church years ago when everybody else was gone, and it was all by myself. And he'd drive his truck up here, and it was a big dump truck. And he'd come in my office, and he says to me, it is the spirit of God that saved me, but now it's the Ten Commandments that keep me sanctified. And I said, no, no, no. Do you want me to remove you from my office? You're not going to bring that false teaching in here. It is the spirit of God of the living God that saved you. And it is the spirit of the living God that will seal you, that will anoint you, that will keep you until the day you see Jesus. You know what's so wonderful about that? Is that it's really just trusting him. No work involved. Just humility. Because it's not our performance. It is the power of the living God that wants to be Able to help us to stay the course. Does that make sense? I think today we need it more than ever. When I was in the Marine Corps, we were given a gas mask, and we were right at the edge of all of this different types of of uh, chemical warfare, and and uh, you know some of you guys had to go into the to the places and be gassed. You know, you took your masks off. We had to breathe it in, and. Uh, had to experience all of that, and they told us to take our ponchos out and put our ponchos over us. And then, in the side of the gas mask, there was a little tube, and you stick it into your leg, you know, full of medicine to keep us so we won't quiver while we die. We would just die, you know, if chemical warfare. But let me tell you something: this culture is so cursed. And if we think that the law is the answer, we've been misguided. The spirit of God is the answer. The antidote for our culture, for our society, is the Holy Spirit. Because it goes back to the house of God. How are we doing? Am I walking in the Spirit? Have I grieved the Spirit of God? Have I said, I'm going to do it my way, God? You promised me to go see somebody, and I think, no, I, I'm going to go do this instead. He prompts me to get involved with some kind of service, but I say, no, I'm just going to do my do it my way. It's, I'm so tired, I'm older, I can't do anything. And How many excuses are actually brought out? Dear friend, listen to me. Don't grieve the Spirit of God. When He convicts you of something, your past or whatever, take it to the cross. Find a room where nobody is and just get on your knees and bow down to a God who will hear you and cleanse yourself and yield to God. Say, forgive me for my sin, but don't stop at repentance. Say, fill me now with your spirit. Get into the word of God. A person who is filled with the spirit will be constantly in submission to each other, constantly thanking God, and constantly being obedient to the God of heaven. With every head bowed and every eye closed this morning, maybe somebody here this morning is saying, Pastor, I needed that message this morning. I'm a Christian. I know Jesus Christ is my Savior. But I haven't implemented the Holy Spirit. I haven't really understood the Holy Spirit. Some churches have probably abused him. Some have neglected him. But he is alive. And this is the dispensation of the Holy Spirit. And maybe today you would say, Pastor, would you please pray for me? Because I, 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 I sense I've been grieving him. And I need to receive him. And I need to continue to enjoy him. Would you pray for me? I'm struggling in the area of the Holy Spirit. Maybe that's you. Thank you for your, your hand. Just lift your hand so I can pray for you. Anyone like that? Anyone else? Thank you. Anyone else this morning? Thank you for your honesty. Maybe there's somebody here this morning that says, I don't know, I don't know anything about the Holy Spirit. Because I'm still at square one. I still have not received Jesus. I haven't opened my heart to him yet. I'm a good person. But I've never been born again Then this message was for you. Have you received him? He's been knocking at your door, and you're the only one that can open it. Why don't you say yes to him? If you need to come this morning, you come. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes and then stand with me? I'm going to pray, and as soon as I'm done, the invitation will begin. Father, I ask that your Holy Spirit would guide in Jesus' name. Amen.